It took Israel 400 years of slavery and 40 years of wandering in the desert to get to this one moment. Soon there would be no more quail for dinner and manna bread for breakfast. Soon there would be no more long, hot, sweaty days. Soon there would be no more long, cold, shivering nights. Soon there would be no more jackal's howl or a viper's bite or a scorpion's sting. Israel was coming home to the land that was given to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so many centuries before. And while most of the nation had never laid their eyes on it, the stories that they told their children at bedtime of this land, the tales they swapped back and forth over campfires, said that it was lush and green and abundant and soon very, very soon, this land would be more than a dream, more than a story, and more than a hope. It would be real for the nation of Israel. Today, as we kick off this series, Extravagant, a brief history of the generosity of God, we will look at God's generosity from the beginning of the Bible to the end, jumping around to different places. We begin in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the final installment of that story we spent about 15 or 20 weeks digging into together. Uh, if you're new to Regen, here's what you need to know. We take what we call the Netflix binging approach to the Bible. So more often than not, we pick one season or one show, which is one book, and we binge watch that until it's over. Uh, how I've done with West Wing five times. And uh, so we usually do that. We spent 20 or 15 weeks in the book of Exodus and watched Israel leave slavery, uh, meet God at the mountain. And the book of Deuteronomy, which comes a couple of books later, finishes that story. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, really comprise one whole story. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, who has led the people of Israel through these 40 years out of Egypt, about to go into the land, Moses, due to his own foolishness, is not permitted to go into the land. And so Deuteronomy, in Greek, Deuteronoma, second law, Moses is preaching sermons on the law given at Sinai to the people of Israel in the same tone that my mom gave me a speech before I went off to college. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, what did the, this, by the way, what did the buffalo say to the son we left for college? Bye, son. All yeah. <laughs> right, good, right? Here's what my mom said to me. Here's what my mom said to me. She said, make sure you do your laundry, make sure you wash your clothes, make sure you eat good food, make sure you make friends and have fun, but don't have too much fun because this, you know, it's your life. And with this same pep talk tone uh, right before college, Moses is addressing the people of Israel as they are about to head into the land. And so tonight we're going to begin our journey in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 10. If you're using the Bible app, all of these verses are preloaded. Uh, if not, you can grab that blue paperback Bible under some of the chairs. That's uh, the Bible that I'll be reading out of. If you read the red one, it's just going to sound a little different, but the point will be the same. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 10, it says this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines 
fig trees and pomegranates of oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. And verse 10, he says, when you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given to you. Moses says to the nation, you're going to find this land not just to be as you expected. It's actually not even going to be what you dreamed it to be. It's not going to be what you hoped it would be. It's going to be better than you ever imagined that it actually could be. The Kyle-inspired, we hope, version of Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 10 is Israel. Y'all are going to make bank. They are going to make money is what's going to happen with the, with the military resources, the water, the barley, the wheat. Israel will be set up as an economic and military, military power for literally centuries to come. So I want to stop here and talk about this. When we talk about money at church, which by the way, this is, I think, I, I preached one sermon on money in our first six months. It's the only real time that we've ever talked about money as a church, and that's my mistake. We should be talking about it more. If you're uncomfortable with talking about money, you have a problem with Jesus. What did your, what did your mom tell you never to talk about in public? Religion, politics, and money. That's all Jesus talks about. <laughs> so when we talk about money at church, we often rush to what God wants from us. We rush to what God wants from you. We rush to make a check, make the payment. But really what we need to start talking about and where we're camping out tonight is not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. What God, that's Andy Stanley, I stole it, but what God wants for us. And in Deuteronomy 8, what we see is our God is a generous provider. It's just what he does. He provides for Israel and the land, and he provides for us. Ephesians 1, verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, not some, not just a majority, every blessing in the spiritual realms because we are united to Christ. What God wants for you tonight, my friends, is to be your provider. That's what he wants. Because of God's generous and extravagant provision, Israel is living one of the earliest rags to riches stories. They are living a Cinderella story. They have had nothing brought from slavery and squalor in Egypt and now brought to abundance and provision in the land. Israel is living a fairy tale, but I don't know if you remember this. In every fairy tale, there's a good guy and a bad guy. In every fairy tale, there's the hero and the villain. And in verses 11 through 18, Israel meets the villain. Look at what it says. It says this, you're going to be provided for verse 11, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord, your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees I'm giving you today for, for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, he says, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord, your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and, and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this, listen to this, he did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved all this wealth with my might and energy. 
Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Y'all, the enemy in Israel's fairy tale is not a wicked witch, and it's not a big bad wolf. It's their hearts. It's their souls. Their very enemy is their hearts and souls that are faltering and flagging and forgetful. Surrounded by abundance and wealth, homes and flocks and silver and gold, Israel will meet a villain that will threaten to take it all away. The risk they run is that in their prosperity, they will forget that their extravagance comes from the hand of the Lord. And so Moses says, that is the time to be careful. Because in your plenty, you'll forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. And you're going to say to yourself, I have achieved all of this with my own strength and energy. Israel runs the risk of forgetting and they run the risk of something worse than forgetting. They run the risk of falling into a trap. And it's a trap you and I fall into all the time. Listen, you and I may not find ourselves smack dab in the middle of an ancient Near Eastern province with pomegranates. That's what we don't talk about enough in church when we talk about money is pomegranates. But we all find ourselves in the midst of 21st century America, and when it gets down to it, it's just as good. Because we have Dunkin' Donuts on every corner, grocery stores every five miles, places to lay our heads, jobs to work, so that we can bring home the bacon, both literal and figurative. And I don't know about you, I prefer literal bacon. We have homes and cars and money, not just for what we need, but for what we want, so that we can have ESPN added into our cable package, and so I can have Hulu Plus, so when there's no commercials, I can say no commercials, okay? And in almost every way that we live, listen to me, in almost every way you and I live, just like those Israelites we're about to experience on the land, because the hand that abundantly provides for Israel is the hand that abundantly provides for you and me. The hand that abundantly provides for Israel is the hand that abundantly provides for you and you and me. The same hand that gives Israel land flowing with milk and honey is the same hand, can I get a witness, that has a Starbucks, a Chipotle, and a Chick-fil-A within a 30-second radius of each other. You know what I'm saying? The same hand that gives Israel a land of copper and iron is is the hand that gives us cars to drive and jobs to work. The, The same hand that gave Israel an abundant land is the same hand that gives us food in our fridges, the same hand that provides abundantly for Israel is the hand that provides abundantly for you and it provides for me. The trouble is Israel had hearts that were flagging, forgetful, and I have a heart that's flagging and forgetful. You have a heart that's flagging and forgetful. The same heart in their chests is the same heart that's in my chest. We are just as faltering and flagging and forgetful. We forget all the time. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth and the people belong to him. Abundance, abundance for all its advantages, it really has one major flaw. It makes us numb, it makes us dull, and it makes us forgetful. Abundance for all of its advantages, comfort when sought after and cherished and maybe even idolized becomes novocaine to the soul. It clouds our vision, it dulls our hearts, and it makes our souls forget that the same hand that provides for Israel in their abundance is the same hand that provides for me in my abundance. It's that comfort and abundance and stuff that dulls the soul and makes us forget where it all came from in the first place. And so we find ourselves echoing the words of 817, I have achieved this by my own wealth and my own energy. 
My house, I have achieved with all my own energy. My car, I have achieved with all my own energy. Those degrees on the wall, I have achieved with my own energy. The fridge full of food, I have achieved with my own energy. The vacation I'm taking, I have achieved with my own energy. The dog I have, I'm achieving with my own energy. The money that I spend on Starbucks and Dunkin' and any number of other things is what I have achieved with my own energy, and that's not true. That's not true. We forget And when we forget, something even worse than forgetting happens. Listen to me. Here's the downside of forgetting. Because if I have achieved all of this with my might and energy, if everything I have is a product of what I have done, my hard work and my own awesomeness, if what I've achieved is surely a product of that, well, I better keep it up. I better keep living at that same level of might and energy. I actually probably need to live at a higher level of might and energy in order to keep up with it. And soon I am fraught with anxiety. Because if, all my, if everything I possess is because of my might and energy, that's going to feel awesome for about a minute. And then pretty soon I'm going to be thinking about how I have to keep up, how I have to keep working hard, how I have to keep working harder. I have to sustain that level of might and energy. And suddenly I'm obsessed with watching the stock market and my IRAs to make sure that my nest egg is growing, not shrinking or staying the same. Suddenly I'm up in the middle of the night wondering what happens if the water heater breaks. Suddenly I'm up in the middle of the night wondering what happens if I lose my job. What happens if my spouse loses her job? What if I get hurt at work and I can't provide for myself anymore? The reason that God wants us, to, wants us to remember that he's our provider is that it frees us from this anxious trap of self-provision. It frees us from this anxious trap of self-provision. But the problem is we do forget. We get stuck in the mud, we fall into the trap, and we get stuck in a pit. We forget and we fall. And so the question is, how do we get out? In Deuteronomy 26, God throws us a rope. In Deuteronomy 26, he lets down a ladder. So go ahead and flip there. I'm a forgetful person. I uh, have uh, post-it notes to remind me of my post-it notes. I, I have reminders on my phone to remind me of my reminders. I mean, I forget things, but nothing could be more vital than remembering. Nothing could be more vital than remembering where it all came from. And in Deuteronomy 26, God gives Israel a post-it for their post-it. And it's something they experience in worship, which is why we include giving in worship. The people of God include giving in worship because that's where we remember who we are best. And so listen to the words of Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 10. They're not going to be on the screen. So just, if you've got a Bible, look there. If not, listen. He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you've conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, with this gift, I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors that he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. And then you must say to yourself in the presence of your God, listen to this. My ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. 
And when the Egyptians oppressed and, and humiliated us and made us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm. With an overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders, he brought us to this place and gave us flowing, uh, this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O oh Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you've given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. Remember to include the Levites and foreigners living among you in the land. The way out of the trap of self-provision, the way out of the pit, the way to remember is so counterintuitive, so opposite of what you would think that you and I, left to our own devices, would never come up with it, which might indicate why it works. It is so uh, upside down to our thinking. It is opposite of our natural inclinations because the answer to avoiding the trap, we would think, is to get more. The way that I would stop being anxious about my possessions and my money and having to keep up would be if I get more, then I won't be anxious anymore. If my savings account is bigger, if my retirement account is bigger, if my checking account is bigger, if I have credit cards with higher max levels, then I won't feel anxious anymore. I'll feel calm and at peace and I'll feel better about it. But the way that God helps us remember that he's our provider the way that he gets us out of the trap and gives us a post-it note and a warning sign to avoid it in the future is by giving, not by getting. It's not by accruing more and hoarding more. It's by getting rid of as much as possible. It's living on less. It's not living on more. God, Listen to me. God's design for us to experience his provision is to give your money away, not to keep it. And when we do that, we remember who he is. We remember who we are. We remember his provision. We remember what he's doing in our lives. We're set free from the trap of self-provision and we avoid it in the future. So in these last minutes, I want to look at Deuteronomy 26 and I want to talk about the remembrance of giving. I want to talk about um, a really profound second point that slips my mind, uh, the freedom of giving. And I want to talk about the celebration of giving. There will only be one what to do in this next part. All of you know that you ought to be giving. You all know, you've been around church enough, like I should do that. And I do not want money in the buckets because you're shooting on yourself. I don't want money in the buckets because you're shooting. I want money in the buckets because you know the why of the people of Jesus. I want you giving because I want us to give as a community because our hearts have grasped the truths of God's word and are living into them. So we're going to only have one like little thing to do and we'll really dig in next week when we get into Malachi 3. But for now, let's look at the remembrance of giving. Giving helps us and it helps Israel remember who they are. The text again, it says, when Israel gets to the land, when they settle it, they're going to grow crops. And when the crops come and they harvest them, they need to take the first ones and they need to give those 
at, to the priest at the place that the Lord's going to meet him. They lay it before the priest and they say these words. They tell their story. They say, my ancestor was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. And they talk about how God released them from slavery and there were miracles and how this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. And now we're here in this land because God is generous with me. And so I brought you the first portion of the harvest that you gave me from the ground. What happens for Israel is that in giving, Israel retells their story. And each Israelite tells it. It doesn't say, go as a group of 50 and Joey will talk for you. I mean, we'd have to be here all night if we were going to do this. Like, I would stand here with the bucket and Zach and Jenna would come and have to talk about how they're a wandering Aramean and blah, 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 blah. And then, all right, take a breather. Next. You know what I mean? And now we're here all day. But these verses reshape Israel's story. We cried out to the Lord. He heard our cries. He brought us out. He brought us into this place. And so we give. Suddenly, Israel remembers that it is the hand of the Lord that provides for them in their abundance. And when we do this, it's us who remembers that it's the Lord who provides for our abundance. When you and I give, next week when that offering bucket goes by, that's why we're giving before the sermon, because I'm also not trying to manipulate you. When that offering bucket goes by, you should have a momentary thing in your heart where you say, my ancestors were slaves and foreigners in a land they did not know. But God heard their cries and saw their hardship and slavery. So the Lord brought them out of slavery into a good land. I too was a slave to sin. And God heard my cries and saw my hardship, toil, and oppression. And the Lord came in Jesus Christ to set me free from slavery to the death, to death and to the law. By his power, this Jesus lived and died and rose again. And he leads me into a heavenly kingdom. Thus, this place is not my home. I'm a foreigner here while I wait for Jesus to bring me to my eternal home. That's what we ought to say. And if you can't remember all that, you could just go with, I suck, I need Jesus. There you go. In giving, we're reminded of our truest story. In giving, we're reminded of our truest story. We are set free. In a minute, I want to talk about the set free. But real quick, God is not a manipulative parent. Um, some of us, in moments, we've loaned parents from our money. Uh, loaned parents from our money. <clears throat> loaned money from our parents. And uh, what happens? Or we've loaned money from a friend and all of a sudden there's strings. Well, I gave you that, so you should probably. I mean, I, I helped you with that thing, so you should probably, you know, come over for dinner or something. You should be nicer to me. You should spend time with me. You should do this, that, and the other. I mean, here's what's not happening in giving, and we'll keep pounding this home. It's not like God was like, well, I bled and died on a cross, so $20 would be nice. Do you know, he's not like, I suffered, for, I suffered the weight of sin for all of humanity, 10%, and it's good. Do you know, it's not strings attached. Uh, God isn't dysfunctional that way. Really what happens is that we freely give because we've been freely loved and freely provided for. And so, so we remember that story. Second, so there's, there's the remembrance of giving, then there's the freedom of giving. Because when we're reminded of who's given us everything, when we're reminded of our stories, we, don't, we, we not only learn to escape the pit in the future, we also get out of it in that minute. We, we get out of this trap of, I've achieved all this by my own might and power. We are set free from the trap that we're probably already in. The moment, listen to me, the moment I take giving seriously, the moment I begin to give regularly and sacrificially and generously, is the very moment 
is the very moment that I begin to rest in the fact that my prosperity and my abundance aren't dependent on me. And that is good news. The very minute that I begin to do that, I realize that my prosperity and abundance aren't entirely dependent on me. I love this. That's why I love this verse in Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to be successful. I am addicted to success. I am by personality an achiever. That's number three on the Enneagram. I am an achiever. And so I went on my whiteboard in my home office this week and wrote in big letters, it is he who gives you the power to be successful. When I start giving generously, I start to see that all my abundance is based on the generosity of God. All of my possessions, even those I worked for, come from him. Now let me be clear about something. I'm going to work this week for probably 50 or 60 hours. Uh, and y'all, some of y'all have harder jobs than me, physically, even emotionally. And you're going to work 40, 50, 60 hours. Some of you are retired, and you worked 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week to get that money. I'm not saying that you didn't work for it, but I'm also not saying that you weren't so awesome that you just got a job all by yourself. See, everybody is convinced that their job is based on their resume until they don't have a job anymore, and then it's everybody pray that God gives me a job. And then once we have the job, it's like, deuces, Jesus, I got it. <laughs> Bring home the money, you know. I'm not saying you didn't work for it. I'm saying that even the job that you worked to have the abundance that you have was a gift from the Lord's hand. Giving is not about what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. God doesn't want you and I living in the crushing anxiety of keeping up. God doesn't want you and I living with the crushing anxiety of keeping up with our finances. He wants us living in the freedom of knowing that he's got our backs. And that happens when we give. It's how we know that he's taking care of us. This is why something crazy happens. People who give money like, like, and have money like give more of it away. Generous people don't like get to a point and they're like, I'm good. They're constantly reevaluating ways to give more because they have become addicted to the peace that comes with giving generously. So let's be clear about something. There is a selfish interest. You want peace financially and no anxiety? Give money away and you're probably going to feel better. If only because now there's less to worry about, right? <laughs> but at a deeper level, this peace that passes understanding gets real when I give and I continue to give generously, when I seek out ways to become more generous, something happens in my heart where I'm set free from that trap. I remember who the Lord is. I'm not super worried about it. And so we'll get into some really hardcore giving practices. But let me give you the one what. Notice in Deuteronomy 26, it says, put some of the first produce from the crop you harvest into the basket and bring it to the designated place of worship. Not the last crop, the first. There are two kinds of people when it comes to giving. There are tithers and there are tippers. Tippers give off the bottom, tithers give off the top. God commands us when it comes to generosity to give off the top. So when you sit down and budget, it's not like here's my Starbucks money and my fun money and our house money and our bills money and we have this like eight cents left over so I'll stick that in the offering envelope this weekend. Don't do that. The offering envelope costs more than eight cents. You know what I'm saying? Let's just call it even. Uh, what I'm saying is, Tithing is what happens when it comes off the top. And so we'll unpack that next week. Malachi chapter 3, here's the preview. Test me in this. It's the only time in Scripture God says, like, bring it. 
You tithe, I'll show up. So there's the remembrance of giving. There's the freedom of giving. I want to look at the celebration of giving. I love verse 11, 26, 11. Afterward, you may go and celebrate. You may have a rave. You shall throw a fiesta because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you. Oh, that's awesome. You shall celebrate. Uh, where's, oh, Vanessa, I don't have my, um, guy, no, it's good now. It's, it's the moment's over. I was, I was going to say, and we have them, and they didn't make noise. We usually have noisemakers for when people get baptized, and the, the, they, she was a victim of false advertising, Vanessa was, when she went to buy them today. But listen, giving is a celebration. I should pass out with your bulletin a party hat and a noisemaker so that when you put your offering envelope in, you give a little like, Dirt, you know what I mean? <laughs> just a little toot, just a little like, whoop. Do you know what I'm saying? Because giving is ultimately a celebration of what God does for you. That's why it's not this, well, I died for the world, so 20 bucks would be good. It's not that. It's a celebration of, look at the number of things that God has done for me. How could I not throw a party and say, look at what it is? And look at what kind of party it is. It's a party that invites others to it. It says, go get the Levites and the foreigners, you know, the people that aren't Israelites, the people that don't really care about who God is or this, that, or the other. Just go get them and give them a taco because God is good and we're throwing a party about it. There's a celebration to giving. And that, that is at its core what giving is about. We give at Regen so that we need to buy more chairs. We give at Regen so we can put people in here. We give so that we can give money to ministry that interrupts people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. We'll get there too. We give so that people can join the party. This, this idea of celebration is why that people who take gener generosity seriously know what it means in the New Testament when it says God loves a cheerful giver. Because it sure is easy to be cheerful, a cheerful giver if you know that, man, this is part of a party that God has been throwing for centuries that I'm just adding to. Because unlike the friends who loan us money or unlike us in our worst moments when we loan money, God doesn't get, demand that we give back because he gave first. God does not want your money. He does not need your money, but he wants your heart. And our money is the best sign of those connections. Giving is a celebration that others are invited to. These foreigners come. We open the celebration of heaven to all through our giving. And ultimately the giving and generosity of God, the same hand that provides for Israel, that provides for us, is a mere shadow of God's generosity in Jesus. Here's the theme verse for this, this whole series. Go to this last one here for me, Sid. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, he for your sakes became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Not rich in money, not rich in Benjamins, not rich in BMWs, but rich in his grace and his love and his affection, which is really the currency that we really needed. At our core, we seek to be generous because we know that the hand that provided for the Israelites in the land, that the hand that provides for us reaches out with a hole in it. It's the very hand of Jesus who in his loving, self-giving, sacrificial moment on Good Friday, tops the generosity game. 
And so every gift that we give, every act of generosity is a mere shadow that points to this. It's a mere shadow of the scarred hand that gives all good and perfect gifts. Not that we might have stuff or even spiritual blessings, but that we could ultimately have the best gift, which is life and life abundant. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you and uh, recognize the ways that we're so blessed. And isn't that a word that Hallmark has stolen from us, Father? Isn't blessed a word that I use as a hashtag for stupid things and not out of a deep recognition of how everything I have you provided for me? Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity toward us um, and the generosity we see at this table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.